Well, it is good to see you on this holiday weekend. Um, I hope that yours is off to a good start and want to thank you for taking some time that uh, you would hang out here for a little bit together with us. We are in the final week of a series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And it's based on the great commandment. The great commandment that Jesus says is to love your God and it's to love your neighbor. That's what he calls us to. He says when, I, when he sums it all up, this is where it's at. And although we know that our neighbor is not limited to a geographical territory, our neighbor certainly does include those, those who really are our neighbor, those who really do live next to us. And this has been a series where we've just declared we're not going to overlook that. And already hearing some cool stories, really cool stories of people taking steps to to try to get to know their neighbors a little better than they have before, some cool stories of parties that are already being scheduled and block parties that are happening in neighborhoods. Some of the coolest stories, though, are ones that people have told me about once they actually begin praying, uh, God, will you help me make some connections? God has actually sent some neighbors to them. And I'm telling you, that doesn't shock me at all because God is serious about loving our neighbors. He's serious about it. There may be some times that you and I think that, 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 you know, this is like a, well, it doesn't matter, but I'm saying the cross declares that God loves your neighbor. But what we're going to talk about in this last talk together is the fact that when you actually begin to engage your neighbors, I mean like connection, you're going to experience some days, and I'm going to go ahead and say sometimes you're going to experience some seasons when you are reminded why most people avoid relationships that are nearest to them. It kind of feels like sometimes you're driving down a familiar road and suddenly there's a pothole. Oh no! Your tire's all flat and junk. Oh, did I do that? Here, let me get my cellular out. Call your wrecker. Oh shoot, I got no phone. Because I'm a pothole. So... Okay, bye! Accidents are bad. But Geico's good with emergency road service. Okay, bye! I I absolutely love that commercial. That is one of my favorite commercials of all time. And I think part of the reason is because growing up in the South, I actually know a lady that talks just like the pothole. Like, not exaggerating, like maybe she could disguise her voice like I actually thought when I saw that commercial the first time, that's the lady that I know, because she talks just like the pothole. I absolutely love that. Jeff, why are you showing us pothole commercials? It's because I want you to remember, and I want us to acknowledge, in neighboring relationships, there really are potholes. In neighboring relationships, there really are potholes. You're driving along familiar road and all of a sudden, boom, there it is. Potholes like crisis, like crisis. 
What I mean is when you first meet your neighbor, you, you see what's on the surface. And the road looks at times like it's really smooth because you see a lawn mowed. You, you, you see uh, the lights are on so apparently bills are paid. You, you see apparently kids are fed and clothed. You see a surface that looks very smooth. But you know, you begin to walk that out. And suddenly there's something beneath the surface. There's crisis that suddenly you feel responsible. There's a pothole. Or maybe it's what I call neediness. It's neediness. At first, you just tried to strike up a conversation and they were willing to visit with you. But then you realize now they need somebody to talk to. And then it develops into every time you see them, the conversation just goes on and on and on and on. It can be the challenge of living next door when a problem arises, you are right next door. And there's a neediness that suddenly comes to light. Or maybe it's what I would call dependence. Dependence, you, you will encounter emotionally wounded people. All right, you, you do that when people you work with, people, people you go to school with, so why would we not expect that from people that we live next door to? People with unresolved pain. And what we know is that relationships are limited for most people. Most people don't feel comfortable necessarily engaging at that level with somebody they work with. A lot of people, their families are not living close to them, and even if they lived close to them, they're not close to them. And so where do they turn? If you've made yourself available, the truth is they're going to turn to you. Potholes. <laughs> so what do we do with all that? Well, Jesus is always our model. He's always our model. And when you read the Gospels, it is interesting to me that there are several times that people are asking Jesus to do something, but he does something different. They want something, they expect something, but he does something different. One time it's his own mom and his brothers who show up, and they're wanting Jesus to comply with what they want, and Jesus does something totally different. Another time, it's Mark chapter 1, Jesus goes to the synagogue, which think church. He goes to the, to the church that day in Capernaum, and it says that he's teaching all day long. He, he's healing people all day long. It gets to the afternoon, and, the, and he transitions to Peter's mother-in-law's house. She's ill. Jesus goes there. He heals her. And, and it says that he just continues to heal people. It says after sunset, the, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed, and it literally reads the whole town shows up. So all day long and all evening long, this is what Jesus has been doing. And then it picks up in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It reads this way, very early in the morning, while it was still dark. Now think, whole day before, teaching, healing, all into the night, teaching and healing. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. 
Where is Jesus? They wake up, he's not there. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. You ever had that day? Some of you are like, that's my whole life. Every day, somebody's looking for me. Every day, somebody's needing answers. Every, every day, somebody needs something. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. You're like, I didn't know I could do that. Jesus said, let us go somewhere else to a nearby village so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Now, here's what I want us to see. Jesus did not ignore people's needs. He did not. Jesus didn't ignore the needs of people around him. He took time for people. He recognized hurts. He treated people as valuable. He loved them. But he also did not allow any one circumstance to derail him from the overall mission that he knew his life was about. What we see Jesus doing is continually talking to the Father. So he gets up early that morning, it's the pattern, he, he's talking to the Father regarding the direction and the priority of his life. And what that meant is sometimes he didn't give everyone what they wanted. Sometimes he didn't do what everybody else wanted him to do, what everybody else expected him to do. He set boundaries. That's the word we're going to talk about today. He set boundaries within specific encounters in order to stay within the boundaries of his overall life mission. Now, here's what I'm saying. You take seriously Jesus' great commandment to love your neighbor— you're going to find yourself in some situations that we, we call them messy around here. It gets difficult sometimes. And there are expectations. What do I what do? I do? Here, here's what everybody wants. It's not going to be if that happens. It's going to be when that happens. And so when you suddenly recognize that you have just stepped into a potentially unhealthy neighboring relationship, I'm telling you, boundaries are critical. Boundaries are critical. Now, when I use the word boundaries, I'm not talking about building walls that isolate you from your neighbors. That's not what I'm talking about. When we talk about setting boundaries, we're not talking about isolating. That's the opposite of what Jesus has called us to do. It's the opposite of what Jesus modeled for us. Remember what we learned in this series. This is, this is one of those verses you're like, I just didn't even know that existed. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, here's, here's what he says. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say... He is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's what you're saying about Jesus. Now, now again, Jesus was not a glutton. He was not. Jesus was not a drunkard. He was not. That's sin. But he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He did not sin but he was a friend of sinners. 
And because he was the latter, he, he got accused of the former. But here's the point. Jesus did not isolate. He did not isolate. That's not what he models for us. That's not what he calls us to. He hung out with sinners, sometimes at parties, sometimes at dinners, right? Sometimes at weddings. And if we follow Jesus' model, then what we discover is boundaries are not about isolation, but rather a healthy perspective for navigating within the relationships with our neighbors. There's actually a book called Boundaries. And I'm, I, this is a recommended read, I'm telling you, for everybody that I know. If you're breathing, this is a good read. Good read. Because this principle with boundaries goes so much further than just our, our, our neighbor who live next, lives next door to us. It's about boundaries regarding relationships. It is such a good read. I just, I want to encourage Henry Cloud, John Townsend, uh, the book's been out for quite some time. Um, We've even offered several um, classes, if you will, based on that book, uh, even here within the church. In fact, in your um, info that you got today, there is another opportunity for a boundaries group. Um, It's called Boundaries in Dating Group. It's a boundaries in dating group. This is what it looks like. You got a little, uh, you got a little uh, flyer in, in your, in, it, it, what's it about? Well, this particular one, age 18 to 25, that's the cutoff point this time. We've done other classes where it involves everybody. We'll do it again where it involves everybody. But this particular one is an age group of 18 to 25. And it really is talking about these healthy boundaries. How do we do this in the right way? Um, it gives you the info here. I'm encouraging, I'm encouraging you. If, if this applies to you, you, you ought to take advantage of this. Um, Amber Utter is, is teaching this, this seminar, this class. Um, somebody who has developed and brought the skill, and she's willing to pour it out. And there's a little line down here that you'll notice. If you happen to be a heart of lifer, it's half price. All right? If you happen to be a heart of lifer, it's half price. I, I would encourage you to get in. On that. Here is a quote from Boundaries that I think helps us to understand what we're talking about today. Here's what it says. Boundaries define us. They define what is me and what is not me. A boundary shows me where I end and someone else begins, leading me to a sense of ownership. Knowing what I am to own and take responsibility for gives me freedom. If I know where my yard begins and ends, I am free to do with it what I like. Taking responsibility for my life opens up many different options. However, if I do not own my life, my choices and options become very limited. So here's what they're saying. Think of, think of it like a property line. Think of your property line. It is a boundary that divides the things for which you are and are not responsible. Maybe you could think of a boundary in, in this kind of language. It is the difference between being responsible to a person and being responsible for a person. 
Two little bitty words, two and four. But oh my goodness, how, how big that transition is. The difference between being responsible to a person and being responsible for a person. Here's what I mean. I am responsible to love, to encourage, to bless, to pray, to serve. Yeah, there are some practical, uh, you know, images that come with that, but that's the point. I'm responsible to this person. I'm responsible to love, to encourage, to bless, to pray, to serve. But get this. I am not responsible for their finances, their happiness, their spiritual progress, or their marriage. Not responsible for. Now, please listen to me because I don't want you to twist my words today. Don't twist my words today. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus clearly states the importance of loving people who are in need. He says if they're thirsty, you give them something to drink. They're hungry, you feed them, right? He, he gives those pictures, and here's what he says. When you do that for one of the least of these, you're doing it for who? Him. That's what he says. He says, you're doing that for me. And he attaches it to an eternal destination. He differentiates between where you're going to end up forever in, in terms of how this is lived out in your life. We are responsible for helping the poor, the hungry, for those in need. We are called to be generous, to open our hearts, to open our homes, to open our wallets. I would rather you be generous and lose your money than be selfish and lose your soul. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not for you losing your money. That's why there need to be boundaries. But I would rather you be generous and lose your money than selfish and lose your soul. But what we're trying to say is we are not responsible for ultimate outcomes. We're not responsible for ultimate consequences or emotions or reactions or feelings or choices. They own that. Again, that does not mean that we just give somebody some, some good advice, right? You, you tell somebody something and they don't immediately begin to follow what you're saying, and here's our tendency. Well, I told them. I told them, right? Here, you speak into somebody's life. You see them headed down a certain road. You, you see a need and you're trying to, and, and they don't listen. Well, I, I, I told them, and we just want to immediately wash our hands and check the box. No. That's not what love looks like. Love sees a responsibility to continue to encourage, to continue to pray, to continue to love. Love doesn't see this as a box to check. Love sees people. And so maybe the best way I can describe this to you, what, what we're talking about here and what I think we see Jesus model and, and what this whole boundaries thing really is about is we need to see the difference between providing a solution versus helping them find a solution. Does that make sense? We got to see the difference between providing a solution versus helping them find 
a solution. Jeff, now why are we talking about this? Because once you start getting close, once you start really connecting in lives, there are going to be hurts. There are going to be crisis. There is going to be needs. What do you do with those things? This is key to understanding how to walk through that. Recently, Heart of Life had the opportunity to put into play something called a transition house. Now, right now, that's what we're calling it, transition house. One of these days, we may come up with a better name, all right? But for right now, that's what it's called, and I kind of like the fact that that's what we've called it to start with because that is its purpose. The purpose of the transition house is temporary assistance for people who are going through crisis. It's temporary assistance for people experiencing maybe a, a house fire. Maybe it's an abusive situation in a household. Maybe it's just something chaotic, some chaotic something happened relationship-wise. The transition house is a temporary solution. It's temporary because it provides the opportunity to achieve the primary goal, which is to find a permanent solution. In other words, we're not the solution, but this provides an opportunity that we can help people find the solution. And I'm saying what the transition house does, that's also what you are called to do with your life. You are not the solution, but you want to help them find the solution. Pretty much everybody knows the story of the Good Samaritan, right? So I'm not going to tell the whole story today. If you're brand new to church, I want to encourage you to go read the story of the Good Samaritan. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Kind of here's how, here's how the story goes, though. A guy uh, is traveling, um, and, and he, he gets attacked, and he's left for dead. And the preacher passes by and sees him and does nothing. And the worship leader passes by and sees him and does nothing. But a Samaritan comes by and sees him and does something. Now, when Jesus tells this story, original setting, he's talking to a big group of Jews. And so when he uses the term Samaritan, they are so crazy prejudiced regarding Samaritans. They hate Samaritans. It's a shock story. Jesus shocks them with his story that the Samaritan is the one who actually is the neighbor in the whole story. But some of you remember, the Samaritan stops, he bandages the wounds, he transports the guy, he finds housing for him, and he even opens his wallet to help pay for the expenses of that temporary care. But I want you to pay attention to something in that story. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Five, reads this way. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, because that's where he had brought the man. Look after him, he said, and when I return, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have had in this temporary time of help. When I return. Have you ever seen that? Anybody ever realize in this story that the man continues on his trip? He continues with, with what's going on in his life right now? He, he continues with that. That's interesting to me. Some people would say, well, 
shouldn't he have done more? Shouldn't he have done more? I mean, you mean besides stop and bandage and transport and find housing and pay for some of the care? Shouldn't he have done more? Shouldn't he have brought the man to his own house? Shouldn't he have canceled like all of his plans and all of his trip and just helped in this particular? I mean, shouldn't he have done more? And I want you to see that even in that most amazing story that Jesus tells, this man allowed himself to be inconvenienced in a significant way. Significant way. He stops. It's risky. The same, the same people that beat up the guy could, could beat him up, right? Same, same could be left for dead. But he, but he really, he stops and he bandages. I mean, he literally gets messy. He's got blood on his hands. He goes through the trouble of transporting the man. Goes, he opens his wallet. He allowed himself to be inconvenienced in a significant way, but he did not allow it to change his entire life. That's interesting. It's called boundaries. There must be healthy boundaries. A really practical one is that although sometimes, just like Jesus tells us, we got to open our wallet for the long term, instead of giving money, you know what's better? Help somebody find a job. <laughs> Help somebody find a job. That's kind of the practice that we try to implement around here when somebody comes and they're in need. There are some short-term needs that, that we can try to meet as a church to help people, but ultimately what we want to move people toward is a solution. They need a job. Sometimes we're able to hand them literally phone numbers to say, hey, call here because they're, they're looking for, for people to work. Call here. Uh, there, there are job openings, and so we hand them the phone numbers. And sometimes they call. And sometimes they don't. They don't. It's not about a handout. It's about how can we literally lend a hand here in a healthy way. Now again, I'm so fearful on a day like today sometimes that you, my words get twisted. I'm not talking about some scenario where I know someone really well. Let's say it's a friend of mine. I, I know them well. I, I, they work a job. They, they are responsible, right? They make good decisions. And sometimes bad stuff happens in all our lives. Sometimes just stuff happens out of nowhere and all of a sudden there's a need. Is there anything wrong with me opening my wallet and helping my friend in this particular circumstance to, hey, here's a need that gets to be? No. Absolutely I would do that. That's not what we're talking about here. But we got to realize that most of the time, you can't just hand someone a solution. You can, but it's not going to work. The better solution is to walk alongside them and help them find a solution. 
When you set boundaries, you tend to second guess yourself. At least I do. <laughs> when I set boundaries, the, the, suddenly the questions that start hitting my heart are, okay, but did I do enough? Did I do enough? Could I have done more? By the way, if you're asking those questions regularly, it probably is a very positive signal that you are at least living at the level required of what it really means to follow Jesus, because it means you are following him into messy situations. It means you're following him into difficult circumstances, and you've got to continually ask those questions of the Heavenly Father. Have I done enough? Where do the boundaries need to be set? The hardest part of loving your neighbor sometimes is that you can always do more. There can always be more time, more energy, more money, but you can't be everything to everyone. You can't. And it's really not ultimately so much about what you do as it is about why you do it and how you do it. Why and how can make a huge difference. How do you know that, Jeff? How do you know what to do? You are constantly asking. God, how do I love? How do I love in this circumstance? God, what, what, is, what does help look like in this circumstance? God, what are the right boundaries here? But healthy boundaries will lead to healthy relationships. We kind of don't talk about this all that much. We just usually call people to give more money and give more time and give more heart and give more everything. And we sometimes don't talk about the healthy side of boundaries. Let me give you just a couple of more practical and then we'll call it good, all right? Let me, let me give you some examples of what I think are really healthy boundaries. Like learning to develop lines of trust. Learn to develop lines of trust. In other words, here's what I mean. I want you to trust me that I'll truly answer yes or no to whatever you need because I want to be able to trust you for the same thing. So when you're building a relationship, it's a great, it, it, something so practical, you're just getting to know somebody. You could say something like, please always feel free to ask me if you need something. But if I can't do it, I'm going to tell you no. Now to keep that, you actually have to do that. Right? If you coming to my house today is a burden, then I'm going to say, no, not today. Right? If you asking me to watch your kids today, I really can't, then I'm going to say that I can't. Because if you can trust me that I'll say no when I really can't do it, then I hope that that invites you to ask me as much as you want because you trust that if I say yes, it's because I really do want to help. You gotta build those lines of trust. When I, then when I say, hey, I, I, how about your kids just come with our kids this afternoon and, and give you a break, I mean it. You'll know I mean it. If I say, hey, can I help you run that errand, you'll know that I mean it. But those healthy boundaries lead to healthy relationships. you got to learn to develop lines of trust. Or maybe it's learning your people limits. <laughs> you know what it's like when you do so much peopling 
You're like, I don't think that's a word. It is today. Peopling. Peopling. When you do it so much, people, it's just people all the time during a given course of a day, and you just get to this limit where you're like, I don't want to see another people, right? I don't want to see any more people. I, I, I'm up to here. It, different personalities, right? The way it works, what drains you, what gives you energy. Some of us, we, we got to know those limits of when you're just peopled out. And there are sometimes you got to say, tonight, our house just needs to be for our family. That's a healthy boundary. Tonight, it just needs to be our family. Somebody wants to throw a block party. No, not tonight. No block parties tonight. It just needs to be our family. Now, I'm not saying do that every night. I don't want to do that every night in terms of just make it our family every night because I don't want to teach my kids that comfort is our mission. Comfort is not our mission. Isolation is not our mission. Jesus has given us a mission, and it requires time and energy, and it does. But sometimes you got to learn your people limit. And that includes learning how to place the burdens that come with people at the feet of Jesus and actually letting them be at the feet of Jesus. Instead of you picking them up all the time, you meet somebody, you engage a neighbor, they've got a need, you're trying to help. What you're actually doing is trying to provide uh, the solution instead of help them find the solution. And you're just picking up those burdens and you're carrying them, you're carrying them, you're carrying them. No, you got to know the people limits. One more. Learning hospitality versus entertainment. Like what? Think of it this way. Entertainment is about you, the entertainer. Hospitality is about your guests or your neighbor. Hospitality means sometimes you got to move the dirty pile of laundry from the couch to the floor so that your neighbor can sit down. And you're like, well, I would never let them in my house if there was a dirty pile of laundry. That's, that's what we're talking about here. We got to learn the difference between entertainment and hospitality. Most of us have been taught how to entertain. We learn how to clean everything up. We, we learn how to make the house look perfect. We learn how to try to make the yard look perfect. We, look how, we try to make the food look perfect. We want everything to look perfect, and then we invite people over and call it hospitality. No, hospitality is when that neighbor knocks on your door or sends you a text, and something has just broken loose and they could care less if all your clothes are clean. They could care less if all the laundry's done. And it's just this moment where you take the pile of dirty laundry and you move it to the floor so that they can sit down on the couch. It's like, do we really think we're all fooling each other that our houses are that clean all the time? Do we, do we, are we convinced that we're really fooling everyone? When we get over the hurdle that what it means to offer your space really is about offering yourself, not some pristine 
Pinterest-worthy spread, I think we're going to suddenly have more room and more time to actually engage the people in our life because suddenly the preparation for that looks different. It's less about vacuuming the carpet. It's more about prepping your heart. That alone is why you should thank God today that you actually came to church today because the pastor just declared from the stage that vacuuming the carpet is not something that you need to worry about, right? You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Boundaries. Boundaries. They free you up. They free you. You realize for five weeks we've been talking about all this. You realize how this changes our perspective for being the church? People on mission with the gospel. Because I, th I think so much of the time we can have a tendency to do the same thing with church that we kind of do with our homes and we, we easily really can make it more about um, entertaining than it is hospitality. At times it's as though we kind of live with this view that what Jesus has told us is go tell them to come in here. Come and hear. Right? Invite them in. Come and hear. And yet what we have studied in these last five weeks, I mean, I, I hope that we're beginning to see that's not exactly what he said. He didn't say the message is come and hear. These are the kind of messages he gives. Matthew chapter 28. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. How about Mark chapter 16, next gospel? He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Right? I, I could keep unrolling. Every, every one that he says, right? In, in Acts chapter 1, you'll be my witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. It is this going language. Our primary instruction is not about getting people to come and hear. Our primary instruction is a mission to go and tell. Go and tell. And so the majority of our life which if we're Jesus followers, life means mission. Those are not two separate things. The majority of our life, which means our mission, is lived outside of the church building. Now, nice buildings in which we can gather, that's helpful. It is helpful. Because we can come together and we can be encouraged. We can come together and we can study God's word. We can come together and we can praise him. When we come together, there's something cool that happens. And so having nice places to be able to gather, it is good. And so we, we want them to be good. But this is what I want to make sure we all understand before we like, close this thing out. The best buildings, the best seating, best lighting, Best sound, best projection, best signage. You realize, in a way, all of that is coming here. Come and hear. When what Jesus said 
was go and tell. This isn't about signs or projection or sound or seating. Go and tell is about how you love, where you live, a heart that says, won't you be my neighbor? Let's be the church. Let's be the church far beyond lights and sound and seats. Let's be the church who loves where we are. I thank you guys for listening for the last five weeks. We're going to keep pushing us this direction throughout the summer, even though the series, I guess, is officially closed. The mission is not. So like that little sheet that has those eight boxes, those nine boxes on it, I'm, I'm challenging you to stay with it. Keep praying. Put it on your fridge. Put wherever. Keep praying that God will give you those names, those hearts. Keep praying. This is life. This is life in him. All right? With that, we will officially wrap up. Won't you be my neighbor? We got a few um, announcements that we want to give you today. Usually we try not to like give all the announcements at the end. Today we're totally doing it different. We're giving you all the announcements at the end. And so just want to give you some info before we wrap it up today. And then, Dad, if you pray us out, that would be awesome. I love you guys. Thanks for listening.